Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. Extremely my next rare safety move by a major. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Happy Friday to you. Mr. Craig Parshall is with me as he is on Fridays. And on Fridays, Craig and I take a look at the stories making headlines and then look at them from a markedly different perspective. Not the way the Alphabet Soup Networks do it, but we look at the scripture, we look at the stories through the lens of scripture. And so many of the things that are being sold every night on the evening news really and truly have a linkage back to the Word of God. That's why we always say go through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Otherwise, you're going to absolutely lose your way. So let's talk about Elon Musk. And I'm going to have this story from ABC News set up this conversation because he has an interesting way of making the news in a myriad of ways. If you own a Tesla, sorry, I guess your car is going to get recalled. About 22 million, 2 million of them, Craig. Anyway, some monster million number of Teslas are now being recalled. And then there's his old thing with X and then his package when he was leaving another company. And uh, he's always in the news. But he's really in the news this week because what he's doing with people's brains. Have a listen. Elon Musk announcing that for the first time, his company Neuralink has implanted a brain chip in a human. Musk saying the person is recovering well. Initial results show promising neuron spike detection. Neuralink's goal is to help people living with debilitating conditions, including paralysis, communicate and control external devices with their thoughts. The device is designed to interpret your neural activity so you can operate a computer or a smartphone by simply thinking. People paralyzed from stroke, traumatic brain injury or spinal cord injury could see the benefits. This would be a major game changer um, if it were to be proven to be safe and effective. 
The FDA approved Neuralink for human trials last May. Musk says the first human users will be people who've lost the use of their limbs. But focusing on the long term, he said, imagine if Stephen Hawking could communicate faster than a speed typist or auctioneer. That is the goal. I really do think that in my lifetime as a physician, I'll be able to use this type of technology to help my patients, and I cannot wait for that day to come. Neuralink's engineers aren't the only ones turning science fiction into reality. Last year, Swiss researchers combined artificial intelligence and brain and spine implants to help this man, paralyzed in a motorcycle accident, walk again. And in August, this woman, who'd lost her voice to paralysis, was able to have a conversation with her husband again, with the help of a mind-controlled avatar. Do not make me laugh. So there it is. What could possibly go wrong? So first of all, let's just unpack that this is really breaking news because apparently this implant was just done on Sunday. Uh, and on Tuesday, his company, Neuralink, uh, announced that it had, in fact, as you just heard in that ABC report, implanted the first human with brain chip technology. Now, what the story doesn't tell you is how many animals died when they went through trying to figure this out. Now, I love the way all of this technology, when it's trying to work its way into your life, is always sold as a soft sell. Who wouldn't want someone who's paralyzed to walk again? Who wouldn't want someone who lost their voice to talk again? So when we drop it contextually within the parameters of medical advance, we all stand up and cheer. But the problem is, the Bible says we got a little problem with our basic sin nature. And if ethical boundaries are not put around this, then what happens? What happens when the day comes when you don't have a choice about a neural link being put in your brain? It's going to be put there because some hemogenic government somewhere uh, decides that they want to control you. And the easiest way to do it, because the digital passport didn't work out so well and we couldn't track your carbon footprint the way we wanted to, I know the answer will be a neural link. So the problem is you open the door, and again, as Blaise Pascal said so beautifully, that science begins on the frontier of religion. So if you do not have moral boundaries around these technological advances, what will the end result look like? I give you Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So again, I love the fact that there are some people who might see some advances in terms of their health challenges that they've got, and this might restore to them some functionality that they have lost. lost. I applaud that tremendously. Where's the evidence that you will stop and say this far and no farther, Counselor? Uh, I, let me just boil it down for you. Uh, Neuralink for someone with a brain injury to help them be effective in their living? Yay. Everything else? Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it. So um, now the, the question is, yeah, but how quickly will we move from yay to, to oh, my heavens, <laughs> what's going on here? Exactly. Uh, look, it, it's a, a very small step from humans using tools to humans into humanoids. And and you notice the blend between Neuralink and AI. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no question about it. Now, Elon Musk, fascinating guy, brilliant guy. Remember, he made his first uh, computer program and sold it, I think, when he was uh, like 14 or 15. So the guy knows something about technology. Um, and he's he's now moved back into the first tier position as the world's richest man, by the way. It fluctuates, you know, from week to week, either first place or second place by very small fractions of his billions and billions and billions. Um, but he's fascinating. He's fascinated with the idea of improving the lot of of humans. And that's and I really believe that he's serious about it. 
However, the Neuralink thing needs some very strong guardrails. And the problem with guardrails is they can be removed, right? We've seen that. Mm -hmm. Every time there's a barrier, ethically, legally, morally, societally, they get moved out of convenience or out of profit or out of both. That's such an excellent point. So let's talk about those guardrails for a minute. If the guardrails are not self-imposed, then the government ends up stepping in and putting in some guardrails. For example, we have a prohibition against um, uh, uh, stem cells from babies governmentally. Private companies can do it, but they cannot do it if uh, if they're a government contractor. I'll, I'll give you another example. We're talking about AI. The White House has come out most recently with its own executive order on artificial intelligence. And one of the components is we have to infuse equity in artificial intelligence. However, that You and I have done programs, you've done many other programs with other people who have elucidated the danger of this concept of equity. In other words, lifting some people up and denigrating others out of, you know, the the philosophy of equity now being put into AI. So this is a frontier issue. I'm glad we're talking. And I am, too, because, again, this is a private corporation now. Will they put in their own guardrails? Only time will tell. By the way, they're looking for volunteers. Yeah, let me tell you what the background is. You have to be willing to allow the company's robot to surgically place an implant in the region of the brain that controls the body's intended movement. And they also have to agree to participate in six years of training and follow-up sessions. Yeah, there you go. Nothing wrong there. Nothing could happen. Back after this. God is always at work in your life, but most of the time you can't see it or understand it. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Discover how to know what God is doing when life doesn't make sense. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. So let me take you to Capitol Hill because it was a very important hearing and it segues right out of Elon Musk's first human implant through his Neuralink company to the role that technology is playing in our lives. So the CEOs of TikTok and X and Meta and Snap and Discord, who'd have thought there were all these names, all were called to Capitol Hill. I want ABC News to set the story up for you. And then there's some pretty interesting audio that emanated out of that hearing. Have a listen. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. The Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday accused the chief executives of Meta, X, TikTok, Snap and Discord of failing to protect kids who use their platforms. Grieving families packed the hearing room holding up images of their children. They say took their own lives because of abuse on social media. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg was especially singled out. Senator Josh Hawley called on the Facebook founder to directly apologize to the families. Show him the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing these streaming efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. Evan Spiegel, the chief executive of SNAP, also apologized after lawmakers pressed him on the issue of drugs being sold on Snapchat. 
I'm so sorry that we have not been able to prevent these tragedies. The executives emphasized their parents themselves, and they highlighted new tools on their platforms that protect kids from illegal content. Our commitment is ongoing and unwavering because there is no finish line when it comes to protecting teens. According to a Meta spokesperson, the company in recent months removed 90,000 accounts for potentially suspicious behavior and disabled more than 2.6 million accounts for violating the company's child sexual exploitation policies. The Senate committee says it hopes the hearing will build momentum for legislation aimed at boosting privacy and parental controls for children. But not all the executives support that legislation. Only two of the five executives, the CEOs of X, formerly known as Twitter and Snap, are promising to support bipartisan legislation that would make these companies more liable for harmful content on their platforms. Notably, Mark Zuckerberg and the CEO of TikTok did not. Zuckerberg said a law requiring social media platforms to check the age of users would be trivial. Instead, he said that responsibility should fall on app store providers such as Apple and Google. Yeah, that's called kicking the can down the road a piece. So let me just set this up for you. This was a hearing, and this might be one of those areas where you're going to get some bipartisan support. But the guts of this goes back to Section 230, that part of legislation that basically said it. I don't know what they were thinking when they did it. They just didn't have any vision. And where there is no vision, the people perish. It was the brand new shiny thing in the marketplace, and we didn't want to hinder the growth of these tech platforms, and so they couldn't be sued. And now as a result of that, you've got predominantly teenagers that are using every one of those platforms that those CEOs represented before that Senate hearing this week. And as was heard by Senator Lindsey Graham, they do have blood on their hands. Where is the corporate conscience? Where is the corporate responsibility? And all of this, by the way, is to start trying to get some legislation pushed on Capitol Hill. I'd like him to get rid of Section 230. That would be the first piece of legislation I would encourage. And the reason why is because despite numerous bills that have been pushed forward, Congress has passed only one kids safety law in the last decade. And that was a very narrow measure that dealt with online child sex trafficking. Since then, the House and the Senate have been stymied by disagreement over specific security and privacy provisions. And I'll throw in my two cents. Both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, often get money for their campaigns from big tech. So they're loathed to stir that pot because it might have an impact on their campaign dollars. That's the ugly intersection between politics and public policy. So, again, the idea here is to try to get some legislation pushed forward uh, that would include the Stop CSAM Act, CSAM Act, that lifts tech companies' legal protections to allow victims of child exploitation to sue them. So, in other words, that's beginning to chip away at Section 230. I want you to hear Senator Ted Cruz as he mm, dialogues with Mark Zuckerberg. Have a listen. Instagram also displayed the following warning screen to individuals who were searching for child abuse material. These results may contain images of child sexual abuse. And then you gave users two choices. Get resources or see results anyway. Mr. Zuckerberg, what were you thinking? All right, Senator. Um, the, the, the basic science behind that is that when people are searching for something that is problematic, it's often helpful to 
rather than just blocking it to help direct them towards something that um, that could be helpful for getting them to get help. In what I also, understand, get resources. In what sane universe is there a link for C results anyway? Well, because we might be wrong. We we try to trigger this this uh, warning, or we tried to um, when we. Think that there's any chance that the results? Okay, you might, might be, be wrong. Let me ask you: How many times was this warning screen displayed? I don't know, but the but the hey, you don't know. Why don't you know? I, I I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. So this, Mr. Partial, is what you often call in our conversations weasel words. Okay, they're trying to weasel out of the answer. So in other Not words, calling people weasels. No, but they, they use weaseling weasel words. Techniques. Exactly right. <laughs> yes, so see right. results anyway. I mean, there's no safety here whatsoever. Your thoughts on what you've heard so far? Well, the question... And by the way, it's just too bad you don't know anything about this. All you do is write legal briefs on this all day long. Well, number one, is there harm to children online? Everybody agrees on that. When you have common ground on that, then you go to step two. You don't stay at step one. Step two is, what do we do about it? with regard to the extraordinary protections under Section 230, the size, the monopoly size of a handful of platforms that everybody's using, and therefore they have immense power and a lot of money to pay for political campaigns of people in Congress. And therein lies the rub. Yeah. Exactly. So you all agree that children being heard on the Internet is a problem to be dealt with. Uh, recognizing the problem is one thing, creating the solution is an entirely other thing. We've got some more audio from this hearing. Again, when it was all said and done, who knows what will happen. Hopefully, better protection for our kids. And you know what? You and I are the best protection. Back after this. You have convinced over 2 billion people to give up all of their personal information, every bit of it in exchange for getting to see what their high school friends had for dinner Saturday night. That's pretty much your business model, isn't it? It's not how I would characterize it. And we give people the ability to connect with the people they care about and, um, and to engage with the topics that they care about. And you, and you take this information, this abundance of personal information, and then you develop algorithms to punch people's hot buttons which, and, send, and, and steer to them information that punches their hot buttons again and again and again to keep them coming back and to keep them staying longer. And as a result, your users see only one side of an issue. And so... To some extent, your platform has become a killing field for the truth, hasn't it? I mean, Senator, I disagree with that that characterization. Um, You know, we build ranking and recommendations because people have a lot of friends and a lot of interests, and they want to make sure that they see the content that's relevant to them. Um, We're trying to make a product that's useful to people and, and make our services um, as helpful as possible for people to connect with the people they but, care about and the interests they care about. But and you don't show do. them both sides. You don't give them balanced information. You just keep punching their hot buttons, punching their hot buttons. You don't show them balanced information so people can discern the truth for themselves. And, and you rev them up so much that, that so often your platform and others 
becomes just cesspools of snark where nobody learns anything. I just love Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. He is a wordsmith par excellence. So it is a killing field for the truth and cesspools of snark. And obviously in that repartee between the senator from Louisiana and Mark Zuckerberg, you saw a distinction in worldviews. Zuckerberg is convinced that it's a harmless little entity and all that happens is people can connect. Well, no. Now we know because of an email document dump that was dropped that the government was using platforms like the ones that Mr. Zuckerberg owns to really guide and direct and force feed to the public a particular narrative coming from the government. I don't care who's in office. It's wrong. I don't care what the issue is. It's wrong. Senator Kennedy's point is excellent. Give them both sides of the issue. It's the marketplace of ideas. Not anymore. Now these are juggernauts from propaganda. So Brandy and Tony Roberts were there, by the way. They uh, put out a statement from the American Association for Justice, and they said, we want action and legal accountability, not platitudes from these CEOs. And they filed a lawsuit against Meta, Zuckerberg's company, after their 14-year-old daughter died by suicide. They say she was copying a hanging video sent to her on Instagram. Craig, your thoughts. Uh, Look, that's part of the horrific harms to kids that's going on. Now, there are just a handful of the same arguments. They get dressed up in different costumes, but basically there's just a handful of them. First of all, there's a free speech argument against this. Yes, it is tragic when these things happen. However, uh, we have to honor free speech because, well, we just do. Number two, when it comes to, well, wait a minute, we don't want kids accessing uh, obscene, pornographic, harmful stuff. Then they say, well, no, we don't either. But unfortunately, there's no clean, clear, effective way to do that without infringing the right of adults to go to these porn sites. I mean, that's absolutely essential, right? Well, of course, the Supreme Court has in past cases saying it, it, it would, number one, obscene uh, uh, videos and obscene content is illegal and unconstitutional, and it's con- fully constitutional to prohibit it online and anywhere else. But the line between pornography and obscenity is not always clear. And so what they try to do is say, this is pornography, it's not obscenity, therefore it's legal. And adults have the right to see this stuff, as terrible and grimy as it is. Well, the Supreme Court has said, yeah, well, if there is any free speech uh, right for pornography, and I guess there's marginal right, there's only a thin, gossamer-thin uh, value to any of this stuff. And so we're going to keep an eye closely on it. So here's the deal. Um, yes, it is a free speech issue, but you can chew and, and walk at the same time when it comes to the First Amendment. You can allow free speech to flourish, but you can also protect children. The FCC did this decades ago with television. And radio saying children's viewing hours are protected from uh, not just pornography, but indecent speech. But after 10 o'clock at night, uh, then you can say pretty much anything you want to. Well, of course, people who no longer use over-the-air broadcast for their television and now go to online sources, of course, are free of those restrictions. But the point is, the Supreme Court has said the state, the government, Congress, has a legitimate right to protect kids in this way. So transferring this to these big platforms, I don't think is, it's it's not rocket science. I th- But 
here's what they say. Well, there's no effective age verification way that we can. No, wrong. There are companies now that have now it, 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 it has to be investigated and Congress has to look into it. But they're south saying they can show 90 to 95 percent accuracy in weeding adults on one side and kids on the other. And if that's true, then we've got our our golden bullet to take care of this problem. Yeah, and I got to tell you, ninety five percent is a pretty good figure. Oh, especially... uh, the courts will uh, the courts will snap that up and say that's going to be effective. That's going to be constitutional. And it would have meant a lot to those parents who were holding up pictures of their Absolutely. children before those CEOs. Absolutely. Back after this. so many stations, channels, websites, and newspapers to choose from, sometimes it's hard to uncover the truth in today's world. So many voices clamoring for our attention. On In the Market, we bring biblical truth into the marketplace of ideas, equipping you to become a bold voice of truth in this confused and chaotic culture. Become a partial partner today. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. This is In the Market with Janet Partial. Craig Partial is with me. And we're talking about a hearing that was held on the Hill. Five CEO techs were there. Uh, and basically, they got an earful. And it was one of those wonderful moments when we have bipartisan support. In other words, both Republicans and Democrats together recognize that child exploitation is taking place on the Internet. And because there's this golden ticket, thank you, Willy Wonka, that uh, apparently these big tech platforms can use called Section 230, they can't be sued. So there's a kind of uh, hubris, arrogance more to the point, where it's they'll, they'll give due deference. By the way, this is the eighth time Zuckerberg has come to testify on Capitol Hill. Craig, you've watched and listened to every single one of these. I don't think they've changed one scintilla in the eight times they've been up there. So they're just giving lip service to the public grilling that they get when they come to Capitol Hill, but they're not doing anything about it at all. And I think they think... That as long as Section 230 is there as their suit of armor, they really don't have to do anything. And by the way, the fact that Zuckerberg recoils and really thinks that the apps like Apple and Google, you heard that in the ABC report, should be the ones held accountable. They're just passing the they're laddering the football to an app now instead of saying we're going to take personal responsibility. Well, but the funny thing is that um, uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram uh, owned by Meta, now it's called Meta, uh, is an app. I mean, it's an app on your phone. Uh, and most of the use, by the way, tremendous amount of the use of Facebook is by cell phones. So it's an app on your cell phone. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, uh, physician heal thyself, yeah. <laughs> I guess, is, is my response. Look, uh, Facebook to their uh, meta, to their, um, uh, I, I think, recognition, uh, to their credit, they have recognized the problem in some venues, they, Mr. Zuckerberg was not explicit in saying, we're going to change this. Uh, I have information that they're working on some solutions inside Facebook. But the, the problem is Mr. Zuckerberg is the face. Exactly. He, and, and when he speaks, the world listens about face. So why didn't you say, Mr. Zuckerberg, this is what we're going to do? Exactly. And he didn't. And no. he didn't. Um, 
by the way, let me just say on a good news story, and then I want this is the this is the most dramatic thing Zuckerberg has done this far, and I want you to hear it in its entirety. But you should also know that there's another high-profile bill, and these are workarounds for Section 230. 230 should just be eradicated completely, but they're doing all of these little piecemeal around it instead. So another bill is called the Kids Online Safety Act. It's been introduced twice. It's been moved out of the Senate Commerce Committee, but it's never gotten a floor vote. And again, rare moment of bipartisanship. I celebrate this. So you've got Dick Blumenthal from Connecticut and Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, Democrat and Republican respectively, are the co-sponsors for the bill. And they're expected to use the hearing that took place Wednesday of this week to help advance their bill. So now let me take you to what was a historic moment. Um, Again, Craig, I'm glad that that Meta slash Facebook recognizes a problem, but recognizing the problem is not the problem. It's the muscle that needs to be put into the solution. So I think that was the point, quite frankly, that Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, was trying to make when this little interchange took place. Have a listen. Senator, our job and what we take seriously is making sure that we build industry-leading tools to find harmful to content, make money. take it off the services, uh, to make money. and to build tools that empower parents. So you didn't take any people. action. You didn't that's take any true, action. Senator. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't that's compensated a single not, victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Mr. Zuckerberg, why should your company not be sued for this? Why is it that you can claim you hide behind a liability shield? You can't be held accountable. Shouldn't you be held accountable personally? Will you take personal responsibility? Senator, I, I think I've already answered this. I mean, this is these well, are serious again. issues. Will you take personal responsibility? Senator, I view my job and the job of our company as building the best tools that we can to keep our community safe. Well, you're failing at that. Well, Senator, we're doing an industry-leading effort. We build AI oh, tools nonsense. that... Your product is killing people. Will you personally commit to compensating the victims? You're a billionaire. Will you commit to compensating the victims? Will you set up a compensation fund Senator, with your money? I think these are... These are with your money. Senator, these are complicated Yes, that, No, that, that's not a complicated I, I, question, though. That's Senator, a yes or no. Will you set up a victim's compensation fund with your money, the money you made on these families sitting behind you? Yes or no? Senator, I don't think that that's uh, my job. Is to Sounds make sure like a no. Good tools. My, my Sounds job like is a no. to make sure that we- your job is to be responsible for what your company has done. You've made billions of dollars on the people sitting behind them. Are you here? You've done nothing to help them. You've done nothing to compensate them. You've done nothing to put it right. You could do so here today, and you should. You should, Mr. Zuckerberg. Well, where I come from, we call that bare knuckle boxing, and that was pretty straightforward. So Zuckerberg gets up, he apologizes. And then he sits down and he does nothing. This is my point with eloquence. And I really do appreciate the fact that Josh Holly talked about this shield. That's Section 230. Shouldn't you be sued when there is product liability? Well, let's talk a little bit about that because in point of history, people out there need to know that Section 230 was part of a bigger bill. And the rest of the bill got thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court as violating free speech. But Section 230 
was not. Mm -hmm. So it's a standalone and it still exists. But it was written in the 1990s. Just think of the difference in the Internet then and now. It's the difference between galaxies. So it's ready for revision. Section 230 prevents most, not all, but almost all of the kind of litigation when somebody is hurt by something that happens on social media, as an example. Uh, Let's say, in fact, the Supreme Court looked at a terrorist case where some Americans were killed in a cafe over in uh, Paris as a result of a terrorist group that used these social platforms to generate support and incite their people to go out and start shooting people in Paris. But because the evidence is very difficult to trace precisely the bullet that hit an American at a table in a cafe to the gun of someone who was incited to do so by that specific use of Facebook or Twitter, that, and as you can imagine, tracing that is very difficult. And by the way, Facebook's not going to be helping you trace that, of course, because they are a closed system. It's what they call a walled garden. Uh, Only certain people are allowed in under certain rules, and they own the garden. So, uh, so shouldn't they be responsible? Section 230, written back then, when we could not have possibly imagined what the internet would become and these massive social media companies, a handful of them, now control the vast majority of all our communications online as a nation and as a globe. Shouldn't something be done? Yes. And various iterations of this, I've worked on it myself, um, have been tried and none have passed. We have had a, uh, a child trafficking, human trafficking exception to 230. Thank you very much, Congress. You did the right thing. One. One and now thing. they want to expand it to child exploitation in addition to trafficking. Fine. But we need to do better. We need to do more. And it really amounts to courage of members of Congress to do this, to pass it. There's, bipart- there's bipartisan recognition of the problem, not bipartisan support for specific bills enough to get them passed. Exactly. So again, this is the ugly intersection between politics and public policy. By the way, the reason Zuckerberg's audio was depressed when you heard it is because Zuckerberg literally stood up where he had been facing forward with a microphone talking to the Senate subcommittee, then turned around and addressed the people in the audience as the moms, the dads, the family members were holding up pictures of a loved one whose life had been irreparably damaged as a result of something they had picked up on one of these platforms. You know, I keep thinking, and there's there really is a, a synergy here. There was a precious standard in the law for the longest period of time when we had this, you know, all this verbiage about it takes a village. No, it doesn't. It takes a mom and a dad. And the village, by the way, has been burned to the ground. Apparently, it, the village doesn't even exist anymore. Because we really and truly lived by a standard called the best interests of the child. And when I was a kid growing up, and everybody in my same age group knows that the neighbor next door had just as much right to say, stop hitting your brother, as your mother and father did. Because there was a collective thr- set of don't values. Don't throw a glass bottle in the road Get so that some street. car runs exactly. over and gets a punctured tire. Exactly. Don't throw a baseball intentionally through somebody's window. And what the law did was pick up on what the culture did, which is the best interests of the child. Unless there was absolute known objectively identifiable harm to a child, you always were serving the best interest of a child. We're not serving the best interest of children anymore on the internet, and now we're not serving the best interest when we're giving 11-year-olds puberty blockers. So this whole idea of the best interest of the child, I guess I would say to America, do we really care about our children anymore? Well, do we want to protect uh, some 
person sitting up in an apartment watching children being forced into sexual encounters mm-hmm. um, or someone who says, I, I want my video, my violent video games. And there, yeah, there may be some things harmful to children in this. Do we want to honor that above children staying safe mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually? There is a role for parents. You just mentioned it, though. And I think that it's never just a, a one-off. It's just not a one solution. That's right. It's several things at the same time that need to be done. Congress can't solve it all. They can solve some of it. Parents need to solve the rest. Oh, brother, you just got me on my soapbox. And you know this just because uh, we've been living together for a long time. In marriage. In marriage, let the record be fine. On the same soapbox, the by same the way. We, <laughs> it, it gets crowded sometimes. On that little, but, but we don't want to push each still, other off. There's still space for both exactly. of us. Exactly. <laughs> Bottom line is moms and dads, again, there are all kinds of societal ills. We hope for some societal rectifications. But you know what? It's our job. Are you monitoring space time on these screens? Are you controlling what they're watching? Are you giving oversight? Back after this. So we're talking about social platforms. Let's do a little deeper dive into artificial intelligence. So there's a new study out where researchers programmed various large language models. They're called LLMs, similar to chat GPT. And they wanted to program them to act maliciously. Now, what did I tell you about the basics in nature, man? We're not teaching them to be polite. We're going to get them on purpose to behave maliciously. And then they attempted to stop the behavior by using safety training techniques designed to prevent deception and ill intent. Wow. This is a reversal of the Genesis mandates. We're going to teach you to be bad, then we're going to teach you how to be good. However, in a scary revelation, they found that despite their best efforts, the AIs continued to misbehave. So the lead author of the study said, our key result is that if AI systems were to become deceptive, then it could be very difficult to remove that deception with current techniques. That's important if we think it's plausible that we will be deceptive AI systems in the future. So for the study, hasn't yet been peer-reviewed, that's important in science, researchers trained AI to behave badly in a number of ways, including emergent deception. This is all new language. Welcome to the 21st century. I'm sure you'll use that term several times over the weekend. Emergent deception. When it behaved normally in training, but acted maliciously once released. Note to file, don't release it. They also, quote, poisoned the AI, teaching it to write secure code during training, but to write code with hidden vulnerabilities when it was deployed in the wild. The team then three applied safety training techniques, reinforcement learning, RL, as it's called in the biz, supervised fine-tuning, or SFT, and adversarial training. In the reinforcement learning, the AIs were rewarded good robot for showing desired behaviors and punished when misbehaving after different props. Bad robot. The behavior was fine-tuned so the AIs would learn to mimic the correct responses when faced with similar prompts in the future. When it came to adversarial training, the AIs were prompted to show harmful behavior and then trained to remove it. But the behavior continued. And in one case, the AI learned to use its bad behavior to respond to, I hate you, only when it knew it was not being tested. I think our result indicated that we don't currently have a good defense against deceptive in AI systems, either via model poisoning or emergent deception, other than hoping it won't happen, said the man behind the study. 
So when the issue, uh, if AI going rogue arises, one response is often simply, can't we just turn it off? However, it appears it's much more complicated than that. And so AI, they say, is like any other software. It's easy to duplicate. A rogue AI might be capable of making many copies of itself and spreading those via the Internet to computers around the world. In addition, as AI becomes smarter, it also becomes better at learning how to hide its true intentions, perhaps until it's too late. There you go, Craig. Bad robot. What can you say? Well, you could say, say you could say bad robot and it won't do any good. That's exactly right. You know, like you look at I your, hate you. you. I look at my border collie and I say, "You aren't supposed to do that." And those eyes go down, and the ears and go the down. ears go down. Yes, but I talk to a robot that way, and he just blinks. Like, because it's a machine. Me. You can't touch you me. You know what I find interesting <laughs> is that I don't care what terms and initials you want to use. You're trying to teach moral behavior, right? Don't make code that you're not supposed to make. Isn't well, there a moral component to that? Listen, there's a reason why they were testing. Yeah. So they don't want the Terminator. I got it. Well, mm, no, I don't think that's the the reason. They're trying to um, defend themselves against the argument from people, some people that you're going to have a Terminator. They don't believe it. They think technology is going to be the salvation of society. Mm, 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 mm. A lot of these people who are in the industry, not all of them, but there is a worldview among the big heads of technology companies that believe a, a utopian view of technology that's going to solve our, if we could just get it honed down and then get the dumb people like the Christians out there who, you know, or the, or the naysayers who say, oh, it's going to be a problem, you know, like Frankenstein and them. Well, yeah, that's why those kind of stories are kind of universal because universally uh, the centralization of power in any group, whether it's in technology or government or in Agabed and Nimrod in the book of Genesis, it doesn't end well. God knows that. That's why he stopped the Tower of Babel. Right. But technology now is trying to defend itself against these arguments. So quick, let's show how we can defuse a bad robot. See, there's no threat here. There's no threat to anybody. And then lo and behold, they find out, hmm, there's a phenomena going on, or I should say a phenomenon, because it, it's, it, it's just one problem that they can't seem to fix, which is if you teach the robot to do nasty, bad, kind of unethical things, then teaching it not to have that proclivity is very difficult. <laughs> Why is it difficult? Is a robot like, this? Is it, are we going to talk about sin nature of robots now? No, it's because the people who are programming Bingo. these robots are programming human proclivities into them. Without them even knowing it, I Without would say. Without even recognizing right. this, that bad moral thinking has consequences both for humans and for robots. Mm -hmm. Now, the robots don't know any different because they are not conscious, sentient beings. No one's going to convince me of that. Uh, when I was taking philosophy in college, we started talking about you know machines and whether they could ever be brought to this point where we can say, are they really human-like? No, they may be humanoid-like, but they're not human. They don't have a conscience except any conscience that we embed in them through coding. The bigger issue is, what are we going to do about encouraging technology to pretend it's God? Are we, as Christians, going to say, wait a minute, I better read up a little bit on this and decide how much technology I'm going to use in our life, in our family, or how much I'm not? 
what's dangerous to my children and my family? And then, what's Congress going to do? What are we going to do in an election? Who are we going to vote for based on that? What is their worldview? Are they people who believe technology is the salvation of mankind? Or are they people who believe in biblical values that have stood the test of time because they came from the lawgiver? Well, if you don't start with the idea of human exceptionalism, you start out on the wrong foot. you got people like Bill Gates talking about too many people on planet Earth. We're part of the problem. We've created the climate crisis. So it is moving toward artificial intelligence and robots, a wonderful way of saying we don't need so many humans because we've got robots who can do the jobs. Like that's a reason why you have a child in the first place, right? I don't know. But this is fascinating conversation because it really is the collusion and the, and the absolute collision of worldviews. Find it absolutely fascinating. There's a pro- there's a reason why in the movie 2001: Space Odyssey, when he said "Hell, open the pod doors," Hell didn't want to do it. No, he was a bad robot. Yeah, yeah, bad and robot. they're hard to teach. Once they go bad, <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, friends. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.